0: And Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
1: And this is Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm
2: Buzz Eisenberg.
1: And with a little luck, we have with us African American Studies Professor Amilcar Shabazz. Amilcar, are you with us?
3: Hey, I'm here.
1: Well, Can terrific. Terrific. Thank you so much for joining us today. <clears throat> we have uh, Professor Amal Shabazz, who is, of course, the new host of Black in the Valley, uh, because we want you to know about a very special event happening here in the Valley that has both historical and present importance. So, Professor, tell us what's happening.
3: Greetings. So, this upcoming Juneteenth, we have a very uh, another very special event amongst many. In uh, here in the pioneer valley, that we wanted to let folks uh know about, we didn't um get the word until after our show on Monday. But at the new England Pagoda, starting at 11 in the morning, okay, you're, you're,
1: you're, you're breaking 27th, up a little, you're breaking up a little uh, bit.
3: anniversary of crossing the waters, the interfaith pilgrimage, the interfaith pilgrimage. Um, will be uh, at the New England Peace Pagoda. And it, we really want to let people know about this and to start their Juneteenth activity by coming up to, elaborate to the New England Peace Pagoda at 11 a.m. How's our link doing? Can so, you
1: hear me on that? No, Amokar, you're breaking up a bit. I don't know if your radio's on, but if it is, turn it off, okay? That would be helpful. And no, we got the, and, 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 in, and speak right into the microphone because you are live on the air now. Uh, let's just go over that here. again because you were breaking up a bit. Crossing the waters at the Peace Pagoda, when and where and why?
3: So in Leverett, Massachusetts, at 11 a.m., uh, we're celebrating and kicking off the 25th anniversary of the interfaith pilgrimage. This was a group that left from Leverett and walked, literally walked all the way down to the deep south and then from there, crossed the waters to the Caribbean islands, to Brazil, walked in Brazil and then crossed the waters to Africa reenacting the slave trade and connecting and, and promoting the message of healing in the face of the transatlantic slave trade. You can learn more about this and come and listen and be a part of this with Ingrid Eskew, with Sonji Clive Alexander. And by the way, they will be our guests on Black in the Valley segment of Talk the Talk on the 26th of June. But before then, please be a part, come and be a part of the launch of the 25th anniversary of the interfaith pilgrimage crossing the waters.
1: How long did the interfaith pilgrimage take? You went, or they went, the pilgrims went from uh, Leverett, Massachusetts, all the way through the south, and then assumedly took some... uh, transportation to uh to cross the waters Uh, this must have taken a long time and how many people were involved and who sponsored it was it the peace pagoda
3: well it it was a gathering of many different faiths not only the the monks at the peace pagoda but many others my my good friend at the peace pagoda tim bullock was there many others were a part of the walk and um it, it, you know, They would average maybe 20 miles uh, on a good day. So it did take over a year, over a year. Kathleen DeQuince Anderson was a part of this. Many people in our areas, but also many other pilgrims from other parts of the world came and joined in on this. I met them personally uh, almost 25 years ago when they got to Alabama. I was teaching then at the University of Alabama, uh, Tuscaloosa. And I got a call that these pilgrims were were coming and staying at a church that a friend of mine was a uh, was a member of, and she says I think you want to meet them. And so I I took off from Tuscaloosa, went down to Greensboro, Alabama, and I met these folks there as they had a uh, walk already from Leverett to to Alabama, and that was that was only that wasn't even quite half half their journey, but uh, but they were strong in spirit. They were really committed to the idea of uh, looking at the transatlantic uh, slave trade and slavery as one of the great tragedies of humankind and of the need to uh, uh, spiritually come together for healing of that.
1: And the 25th, the observation, the 25th anniversary of Crossing the Waters will be at the Peace Pagoda in Leverett at 11 o'clock on Juneteenth. Is that right?
3: That is correct. And, and so, again, this, start, this took started in 1999. So 2024 is the real fruition of 25 years. But they're but they're launching the buildup to that 25th anniversary this coming Juneteenth at 11 a.m. I think you'll find it quite—people uh, will find it really spiritually— fortifying and, um, and, and and enlightening to come and take part in that
2: and there will be no charge for this right
3: no c- completely free
1: to you personally the importance of this observation at the peace pagoda on Juneteenth at 11 o'clock Professor Shabbat
3: yes indeed and and, and, <clears throat> and if you want to walk a little bit because walking is a is a very spiritual practice. And you can certainly walk the grounds of the Peace Pagoda. It is very, um, it is a, it is a real spiritual center up there in in Leverett. And uh, and I encourage folks to come and, and be a part of the program. But but even just walking around uh, in that area, you'll find it a really wonderful way to kick off Juneteenth.
1: And then there are many other observations, uh, commemorations on Juneteenth in and around Amherst and Leverett as well. Absolutely. And you'll be participating and leading those, I take it. Professor al thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for letting us know, again, 11 o'clock on Juneteenth at the Peace Pagoda in Leverett, the 25th commemoration of Crossing the Waters, the observation and the reflections on the transatlantic slave trade. Thank you so much, Professor. We really appreciate thank your you, time. Thank
3: you, Bill and Buzz, for the opportunity.
1: And when we come back, we'll be speaking with Congressman Jim McGovern right after this.
0: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
4: It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Miss Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator
0: where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts.
5: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman.
6: Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
7: Your expectations. What are your expectations for your new home addition? Construct Associates in Northampton can show families just like yours a world of possibilities. From antique to ultra-modern, kitchen and bath, additions, design and construction, residential and commercial, renovation and restoration. Construct Associates in Northampton and your imagination. Expanded and released by serious craftsmen doing quality
8: work. Visit their website right now
7: at constructassociates.com.
5: You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 Amherst and online at forthillcs.com.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: We welcome to our show and back to our show, Congressman Jim McGovern. We really appreciate him being with us every month. And I would like to begin, Congressman, by asking you about the New York Times article yesterday. Let me quote a couple of sentences under the heading Congressional Memo, Actions of GOP Rebels, Upend Rules of House. A couple of sentences. It has long been an axiom of the House majority vote against a piece of legislation put forth by your party if you absolutely must, but never, ever vote against the rule to bring that legislation to the floor. The article then goes on to describe what is meant by rules, and it has this paragraph, quote, The situation left Democrats declaring that the Speaker had ceded control of the floor to what Representative James P. McGovern of Massachusetts, the senior Democrat on the Rules Committee, called the right wing's extreme right wing. Congressman Jim McGovern. Could you please tell us what a rule is, why it matters, and what is happening in the House of Representatives, what is making it dysfunctional, and then we'll get to the whys. But help us understand procedurally what is going on here, please.
9: Well, procedures are very important uh, in the House of Representatives, Uh, and the rule uh, allows you to consider legislation. It it, it tells it it directs the uh, Congress as to how the legislation will be brought up. So is it, you know, an up or down vote on the bill? Uh, can you offer amendments? What amendments are in order? The time? Uh, sometimes we can change the, the substance of the bill. But in any event, uh, it, 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 you need to pass the rule in order to do anything. And uh, as the article points out, uh, the majority is in charge. Uh, and it is their responsibility to bring legislation to the floor. And they usually can do it when, you know, they pass the rule. Uh, and it's very, very rare that the rule ever fails. I mean, during my time as chairman of the rules committee, we never lost a rule. Uh, I think it's been 20 years since, uh, a rule went down in the house, but what it did when they voted it down was it basically, uh, suspended all activity in the house of representatives. So we had five legislative days in which nothing happened. Uh, and, um, and it's all because of an extreme group of far right wingers who, uh, don't think the legislation that the Republicans are bringing to the floor is awful enough. Uh, they want deeper cuts. They want to throw more people off a snap. Uh, they want to gut our environmental laws, um, you know, um, and, um, and so, you know, those are the, you know, that's the significance of the rule and, and the right wing wants more.
1: So let me see if I understand a rule is a, uh, procedural mechanism that comes out of the rules committee. But without a rule, no legislation is considered because the legislation is attached to the rule, which tells Congress how it can consider the substantive piece of legislation. I think I garbled that sufficiently confusingly. Yeah,
9: that's essentially correct. I mean, it, you know, in order to bring a bill to the floor, you need a rule. Uh, and that's that's the way it, it, it works. The Rules Committee is the oldest committee in the, in the Congress. That's the way it's been from the very beginning. And so uh, you know it's it's not only procedure, but oftentimes it it is substantive. And uh, and again, when you vote down the rule, you suspend all activity on the floor
1: because without a rule, there's no you legislation,
9: right? Unless there's unanimous consent to bring the bill to the floor, and there's never we can't get unanimous consent to have a cup of coffee in this place. So uh, you, so the rule is essential.
1: Okay, so the House Republican majority can simply close the House of Representatives for Business by not approving a rule because without a rule, there's no substantive legislation to be considered because it's a package, the rule with the legislation, right? Correct, correct. Okay, so here's the part that most disturbed me, maybe because of my ignorance about this, but as I read this article, uh, it seems to say that the House Republican majority can now bring the country back to what we thought we had just avoided, which was this fiscal cliff because, that we thought we had avoided because of the passage of the uh, debt ceiling suspension. But it seems to say that the appropriations bills, which have to go through the rules committees, also are subject to this uh, uh, finagling by the House Republican majority, and they could close the government down again by not passing the appropriations. Even though the debt ceiling is not a problem, even though the debt ceiling is not a problem, there may be a problem passing bills that actually pay for the government. Is is that right?
9: Yeah. So essentially, there are eleven MAGA Republicans who uh, are responsible for shutting things down. Democrats or whoever's in the minority usually votes against the rule because we disagree with some of the garbage legislation that's coming uh, up before us. I mean, in this case, anti-environmental legislation and uh, legislation to, you know, to uh, ease up on gun restrictions to make it easier to kill people. I mean, so the legislation is awful. Uh, But 11 MAGA Republicans basically said, uh, you know, we want even more awful bills, and they are dictating uh, the agenda. This is not democracy. This is not the way the House is supposed to run. But they are saying, to Speaker McCarthy, you know, that uh, they're going to use their leverage to get deeper cuts uh, in appropriations to to, to kind of renege on the agreement uh, that Biden and the Republicans made uh, to raise the debt ceiling. They want deeper across-the-board cuts, which means cuts in programs like WIC, veterans benefits, uh, you know, environmental protection, uh, programs to help our farmers. I mean, I go on and on and on. But, um, yeah, these people – I, I, I'm not even sure. Well, I don't, I don't know what the majority of the Republican Party believes anymore. But I mean, the, these are the most extreme of the extreme on the right wing, and they are the ones calling the shot. And they're saying to Kevin McCarthy, "You either do what we want, or we're going to shut the house down. And if you continue to not do what we want, you know, we're going to oust you from the speakership."
6: Well,
1: how long does the government of the United States continue to function? Because there have to be appropriations. Without appropriations, there's no money, and we're back to where we were just a few weeks ago, which is the threat that the United States won't have money to pay any of its bills.
9: Well, as you know, Republicans like shutdowns. Um, And so for some of these people, shutting down the government uh, is not a bad thing. I mean, it's a disastrous thing for average people. It's a disastrous thing for our economy. But they don't care. Um, They are motivated by power, uh, motivated by getting more Twitter followers, and motivated by being cheered by you know, the Trump wing of the Republican Party. So, yeah, no, I mean, we we, we we have to figure out a way around all of this for the sake of our country. Uh, but uh, as awful as the Republican agenda is, as terrible as the, the uh, legislation they are bringing to the floor is, these people think it's not bad enough, it's not awful enough. They want, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, and I think part of this uh, for them is this is a, a distraction from the, you uh, from the uh, uh, indictment on 37 counts um, against their hero, Donald Trump. Uh, So uh, they want to change the subject and distract the the country from focusing on the criminality of the the former president. And so that may be part of this as well. But this is not the way uh, this institution should be run. And I hope that to the Republicans who are listening, uh, that they should call their republican friends down in washington and say grow up uh, you know do your work and fight about the legislation that you care about but i mean don't 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 shut the government down don't allow us to default on our debt and don't gut you know uh, the social safety net in this country
1: Congressman McGovern, if these bills—the bills to promote more gun ownership throughout the country, bills to gut environmental protections, <clears throat> bills to hurt veterans, to cut out, cut and reduce SNAP benefits, and the like—if <clears throat> that those bills got to the House with the Republican majority, would they actually pass?
9: Yeah. Well, they. they, they, they yeah, they would. I mean, these people want to uh, cut SNAP drastically. Uh, and they succeeded in doing so in the in the uh, uh, debt ceiling agreement. Uh, uh, they, 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 they as a result of that deal, close to a million people who currently have SNAP benefits will lose it. Um, so I mean, so that that's that's what they want to do. We passed they passed a a bill uh, yesterday on guns that you know basically uh, the Biden administration uh, wants to have people register. Who buy these accessories that can transform guns into basically weapons of war, and the Republicans uh, voted uh, move to overturn that, and that passed the House yesterday. I hope it doesn't go anywhere in the Senate, and I'm hoping that Biden would, would would veto it. But again, you know, we have more guns than people in this country, and their priority is, you know, putting more guns on the street. Uh, you know, overturning any kind of regulation um, that would require anybody to register. They want to do away with background checks. I mean, this is insane. People are being killed in massacres on a weekly basis, and they want more guns in the street. It's, it, it's sick, quite frankly.
1: Congressman McGovern, could you give us your analysis of how the Trump indictment is playing politically in Washington and across
9: the country? Well, look, um, I think it's shocking, right? Uh and I, when you read the indictment, uh, you know, it, it, it shows to, the, to the, the extent that this president went to basically try to uh, hide the fact that he had classified documents that contained very, very sensitive, highly sensitive material. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do. going to sell it to people or I don't know what? Uh, but he lied about it. He, he, uh, he obstructed justice. This is very, very serious. And. Uh, and look, I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This president has a, has a history of, uh, of, of being engaged in criminality, and, um, and he's always kind of been ahead of uh, the curve, if you will, and, and trying to avoid any accountability. Well, maybe this time um, he won't. Uh, and, um, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of my Republican colleagues feel they have to defend him. They feel they have to defend him because their base, their primary base, uh, still think Trump is great. And so they're afraid they'll lose their primary. So we have, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is Trump lost the last election to Biden. And, you know, he needs to expand his base. I'm not sure how the, how an indictment does that. But, I mean, he's obviously raising money off of it. Uh, he's now been indicted more times than he's been elected. So, and there may be more indictments to come out of Georgia. I, I, I Again, I, I want to, I wish he would go away, but, um, you know, he's got a base that still, you know, covers up for his illegal behavior, and, you know, so we're, we'll see how all this plays out, but uh, this is a very dangerous moment for our democracy.
1: Congressman McGovern, I would like your reaction to this, uh, and I, I say this from a personal point of view. I was shocked this morning. I had to put down the newspapers, walk away, come back, and reread it articles about the possibility of a president of the United States governing from prison. And they're talking about Trump. And this borders on the insane, leaving aside the Eugene Debs' example going back 100 years. But the idea that a person could be elected who is on their way to federal prison uh, seems to me just – it's incomprehensible. But there it is in black and white in today's papers – And I'm wondering whether my reaction is simply uh, 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 not in the mainstream or whether that sort of how is this happening here reaction. Is that part of what's going on in the House of Representatives, even with Republicans?
9: Yeah, well, look, polls show that uh, mainstream voters uh, don't like this, um, only his base. Um, And, you know, I mean, he may win a a primary election, uh, but you know, if the vote, if the election were held today, he would most likely lose the general election. But, you know, we have to take, have to take him seriously. Uh, and we can't underestimate him. Uh, he, you know, his base, um, shows up no matter what. Uh, and, um, you know, it helped him, um, overcome Hillary Clinton, um, in 2016. And, um, you know, and a lot of people voted for him in the last election, quite notwithstanding all of his ex- excesses and, and horrific behavior. But so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's hard to believe that we are confronted with this moment, but we are. Uh, and that requires all of us who care about this country uh, to be engaged and to push back and to fight back. This is a dangerous man, um, and he's a danger and a threat to our democracy. And we saw he tried to overturn the, ele- the last election. We saw, you know, what he's capable of doing. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I hope and pray that we don't see any more violence. From his supporters, but we have to take this seriously.
1: We leave it there. Congressman Jim McGovern, thank you so much for your time.
9: Thank you
6: a house is a very, very, very fine
0: house. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg
10: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton Housing Authority will take over the East Hampton Housing Authority for the next three years. The NHA will receive an annual fee of just over $118,000 to manage the properties. The decision comes after the resignation of East Hampton's Executive Director, Deborah Walker, for personal reasons. There are approximately 200 adult tenants living in 188 units at East Hampton's Housing Authority. Properties that include more than 50 buildings citywide. Kara Leeper, NHA's executive director, tells the Gazette the contract stipulates that East Hampton can cancel the agreement with a 60-day notice if they are not satisfied with Northampton services. The Northampton City Council is giving the green light to pay raises for the mayor, city councilors, and school committee members. The recommendations come from a report by the elected officials' compensation advisory board, shared at a May council meeting. If approved by the full council at its meeting tonight. The changes would take effect January 1st, after the city's next municipal election in November. There is an active investigation after a Burniston patrol officer stopped a suspicious vehicle resembling a police vehicle Tuesday night. The individual driving the car was arrested for numerous charges and, according to Burniston Police, was wearing a tactical vest, wearing a badge resembling a police badge, and armed with a handgun, handcuffs, knives, and other police-style equipment. The individual is expected to appear in a dangerousness hearing, and the Bernardson Police Department assures there is no current known threat to the public.
11: mixture of sun and clouds today, a few scattered showers this afternoon, a high of 76 to 80. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 70s, an overnight low of 54 to 60. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with showers and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon, a high of 76 to 80. Saturday looks wet. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
10: This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media.
12: Yo soy Johan Rashid Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Holyoke Medical Center anunció la apertura de un nuevo mercado de agricultores en el hospital ubicado en el 230 de la calle Maple en el centro de Holyoke. El nuevo mercado estará abierto todos los miércoles de 11 de la mañana a 3 de la tarde a partir de este 14 de junio y hasta el 25 de octubre de 2023. Se invita a los residentes de Holyoke a utilizar los servicios de transporte gratuitos del hospital y el horario de transporte está disponible en holyokehealth.com. Diagonal ride. El mercado de agricultores de Holyoke Medical Center es una colaboración con el mercado de agricultores de Holyoke, la Cámara de Comercio de Holyoke, Let's Move Hampton County 5210 y muchas empresas locales. Se aceptarán los beneficios de EBT Snap y de HIP una lista de proveedores participantes será actualizada regularmente en holiochhealth.com market. En otras informaciones, Donald Trump se convirtió en el primer expresidente en enfrentar a un juez por cargos federales cuando se declaró inocente en un tribunal de Miami el martes de docenas de cargos por delitos graves que lo acusaban de acumular documentos clasificados y negarse a las exigencias del gobierno de devolverlos. La cita histórica en la Corte es en los cargos de que Trump manejó mal los secretos del gobierno que como comandante en jefe se le encomendó proteger, inicia un proceso legal que se desarrollará en el apogeo de la campaña presidencial de 2024 y tendrá profundas consecuencias no solo para su futuro político, sino también por su propia libertad personal. Los cargos conllevan una pena de prisión de un año en caso de una condena. Yo soy Johan Vega. y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
10: This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: We welcome back to our show Dan Crowley, who is the editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette and the Greenfield Recorder and the Athol Daily News. We want to share with you as much as we can, as much as Dan can share with us, uh, what happens at our local papers of record. How is the news reported? Why is it reported? Why are certain stories given the prominence that they are? And why are other stories, well, not covered as much? I'd like to start that discussion today, Dan Crowley, by asking you about a story on the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, with the banner in red, Hampshire Franklin Counties, and the headline, Journalist Sues District Attorney's Office Freelance Writer Claims DA Blocked Details of Police Misconduct Violating Public Records Law. It seems like a big story. The district attorney's office is being sued for essentially lack of transparency. How do we know about the story? Where is it going?
13: Well, it's a lawsuit, so we know about it. It was filed in the courts. And uh, this is someone that's been um, filing a number of public records requests, I think hundreds uh, in the story, uh, looking, seeking access to records, uh, police misconduct, police, uh, complaints about police officers uh, filed with district attorneys and um, has been engaged in this public records battle, it uh, looks like across the state. Um, for some time so uh, this one in, in particular is with the northwestern district attorney's office and we're reporting on the lawsuit and um, uh, to go back to your other point about how do we decide what goes out there it's we we, we can't fit 20 stories in the front page we can usually fit about four or five at the most so we have to kind of decide uh what's what's um What's of broadest interest to readers? And that was one of the stories.
1: Broadest interest, but also of most importance to the community, I assume. I mean, uh, people may or may not think that they're interested in the public records law in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, but stories about police misconduct and lack of transparency about police misconduct, that's something of real importance to, I think, every community.
13: Yeah, and as we all know, there's been uh, more... Uh, more of a spotlight on on policing over the last several years, uh, um, in locally and uh, across the country. Um, the, the states made some reforms, uh, as you know, the post commission that it's created, the the, the, um, the certification process for police officers. Uh, there's been a lot of rethinking and and and. Asking of questions about what is today's role of policing, uh, what should it be? Uh, Northampton and Amherst have created uh, departments to to um, work with and and with the, the with police departments on absorbing some of the calls that they've taken historically over the years. So there's there's a lot of um, interest in police departments, and and I think. Um, uh, you know, this is a this 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 rises to the level of um, of reporting on.
1: Let me ask you about a couple of the aspects of this story. I'm going to read to the. the I'm going to read a couple of sentences from it. Uh, An independent journalist is suing Northwestern District Attorney David Sullivan's office under the state's public records law for withholding names of police officers accused of crimes and other misconduct. Andrew Quemer, Quemier Q U E M E R E author of The Mass Dump newsletter, filed the lawsuit Monday in Suffolk County Superior Court, which he says handles all public records disputes involving state agencies. Uh, That reporter, that independent reporter, said he writes primarily about police violence and misconduct. In response, David Sullivan's office said that they had sent a slew of letters referring to more than 30 officers With the names all blacked out, asserting that the names were protected by the personal privacy exemption to the public records law, this reporter argues, contrary to that, that the legislature in 2020 explicitly said that the personal privacy exemption, quote, shall not apply to records related to a law enforcement misconduct investigation, which seems to me to be right. I would be interested to know whether or not the Gazette has run into problems like this in reporting on alleged police misconduct uh, or information regarding potential police misconduct. Has the Gazette run into this issue itself?
13: We have, Uh, and and I don't want to single out the DA's office on that. We've had public records battles over the years with police departments to get information uh, in in what we believe have been public records about internal investigations within departments. So that has been, uh, we're not alone in that way as a newspaper. Um, I, I think a lot of papers over over time, have. have Worc- the Worcester Telegram and Gazette has had some big cases uh, over the years, and um, so it's not uncommon.
1: And when you run into a roadblock like that, first we should, in fairness to the district attorney's office, uh, quote, its response to this lawsuit and it's this we would welcome guidance from the attorney general's office the legislature and or the judiciary regarding whether our interpretation of the public records statute is correct according to the written statement from the district attorney's office saying hi we welcome being sued I don't think so. I don't think they really welcome being sued. But I do think that is a very politic way of saying, yeah, whatever the decision is in this case, we'll abide by it. And if we have to give up the names of the officers, uh, we will. uh, But we have decided our interpretation of the law is we don't have to give up the names and we're not doing unless someone forces us to do it. I think that's uh, a fair interpretation of what's happened here. I'm getting something between a smile and a grimace from you, Dan Crowley. What do you say? (laughs)
13: Well, I think, you know, it's an, it's, a, it's an area of law and there's interpretations of the law. And I think uh, it's, I would say that f- by and large, the, the, the first reaction is going to be to err on the side of caution. And, you know, that's why we have a supervisor of public records. It's why we have this stuff can get vetted and, and, and there's somebody to, to decide, well, no, you need to release this. Your, your, your appeal stands or it, it, we're denying it.
1: Right, and we should probably note that the way this works is that a person, often a reporter, but not always, it could be anyone else, makes a public records request to a state agency. The agency responds, or doesn't, but often uh, responds, and in this instance did respond and said, here are the documents and the information you're really looking for, you can't have because there's an exception. Uh, There is an appeal to the supervisor of public records and or an appeal to the courts, and that's where this stands at this point. This case is in Suffolk County Superior Court.
2: And I also, Dan Crowley, if you agree with me, uh, there's a couple of other complications here. Number one, when there's an ongoing investigation, somebody just accuses Bill Newman of doing, committing a crime and there's an investigation. You don't put Bill Newman's name out there associating it with that crime until you know that it's a legitimate Thing. So yeah, but this we, is different. Well, this is this is the police
1: officers. This is not a civilian. This is, this is they were talking about public
2: officials who are public officers. I don't know what we're talking about, and we don't either. And the, the second thing is there are certain personnel protections even for police officers that might be play, at play here. We don't know what, what you know those volumes of information contained. Uh, I certainly think I'm really glad that our local newspapers are seeking more sunlight and, mm-hmm. and making things more transparent. That's what your job is. At the same time, I, I, there are complications in this arena.
13: Yeah, there's, there, there certainly are some areas. Are, are things, uh, are complaints made in someone's line of work? Are they, or, are they made in, in their private life? Uh, those, those probably, there's probably some of that in any district attorney's office. Um,
1: that said, I'd be interested to know, from the newspaper's point of view, if you have information about a public official and a police officer is a public figure, is that treated differently in terms of what you would report than, for example, if there were an accusation against, in Buzz's example, a civilian?
13: Yeah, I mean, there's a higher. I mean, the, they're public officers, the public officials, so there's a there's a different you know they're on a different they're in a different category
1: and you would be more likely to report on that than uh in other words an accusation against a public official that has some credibility um is newsworthy i think uh, in and of itself an accusation against buzz eisenberg um for allegedly having asked an improper question um not so not so interesting and he deserves the privacy of maybe it's just a bad accusation Whereas the public official maybe doesn't get that kind of consideration from the paper.
13: Well, we make considerations for for everybody when there, there's an accusation against somebody, and you need to weigh is this is this what does it have weight? Is it is it in the public interest? Uh, is this something that's you know? makes sense to, to be reporting on. I mean, you, sometimes common sense comes into play. So Dan, <laughs> a, behind the curtain, yeah.
2: is the conversation we're having right now, is that what happens? Do you have this conversation with your reporter and others about whether this is a, an accusation that we should print or not?
13: Yeah, and and I, I've said this before. If we are going to report on on something that uh, could be detrimental to, to somebody's... Um, work that they're doing in public office, they, they're gonna get every opportunity to, to, um, to respond about it and to, uh, to talk about it.
1: I'd like to ask you in that regard about a story that's on the front page of the Greenfield Recorder today. And I'd like to know how you follow it up. The headline is, Mayor's Chief of Staff to Resign. Buzz, how do you pronounce her name?
2: um, uh, Let- no, Danny is what <clears throat> they say, it's Danielle, but Danny.
1: Danny Lettrenou. Letruno. Letruno. Thank you. Danny Letruno. Danny Letruno, Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner's chief of staff since she assumed office in 2020, <clears throat> has announced her plans to resign effective July 7th in a notice sent to department heads and city councilors this week. Pronounce her last name for me again, please. Letruno. Letruno said that while she is overwhelmingly proud of the work we've done on, together under the mayor's leadership over the last three and a half years, she is taking a sabbatical. Huh. An adult gap year, as she put it. Well, this is a big deal uh, in our local cities. This executive office is not brimming with people. There and are. It's th- also
2: the intrigue comes from the fact that Roxanne Wiedergartner has been kind of embattled, in, you know, over the police issue and and other issues. So that that sort of adds intrigue to this story, mm. I think.
1: And so, how will the recorder follow it up? How does the g- recorder say, okay, this is interesting. We're going to get more information if we can. Or does the official announcement kind of put a barrier into the potential investigations of – is there a bigger story here? I,
13: I I don't know if there's a bigger story there. Um, we learned that she was uh, – she announced her intent to resign I think July 7th next month uh, was – you know, willing to provide information about the reasons for her resignation. The mayor's commented in that piece as well, um, but to beyond that, I can't say whether there's any other um, any other reasons that aren't articulated in that story uh, for for her resignation.
1: Is that is that a kind of fancy no comment? What do you What do you think, Buzz? I don't know
2: whether that's we don't have the resources to chase everybody's motivation. Notwithstanding what they said publicly, or whether or uh, I just don't know, Dan, it's enigmatic.
1: And the sto- and the and the, and the, and the noise that you hear is indeed the uh, 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 sound of newspapers being turned to the jump by lady. the newspaper <laughs> editor. By the newspaper editor. we to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about pay hikes for elected officials. We're going to talk a journalist go back to the journalist suing the DA's office, and I want to know about. How come crime still is the front page news? This front is so juicy, juicy. We'll be right back.
14: Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime, off? and gore. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, ling, city desk, pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's
0: this is talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. How many great books have you
2: read? What's the next great book you'll read? Find it at the Northampton Outdoor Book Fair. This Saturday, 10 bookstores, including Broadside, thousands of books, a book browsing paradise. Yes, there's fiction. Yes, there's poetry and children's books. First editions, limited editions, art books, signed books. For a book lover, it's an afternoon in book heaven. Join Broadside and 10 more bookstores for the Northampton Outdoor Book Fair in the Plaza Behind Thorns this Saturday, June 17th, 11 to 6. What's the next great book you'll
7: read? Some people make insurance sound so simple, you know. Just call 1-800-INSURANCE. We'll save you money. Sounds pretty simple. So you call, give your credit card, and you're insured. They're hoping you'll never call back, hoping you'll never have a claim. Because that's when insurance isn't so simple. In fact, it can get outright complicated. So many insurance claims have some little thing, or not so little thing, that ends up with a difference in what the insurance company thinks they owe you and what you think you should get. Maybe that nice person who signed you up at 1-800-INSURANCE will work it out for you. Or make Whalen Insurance your local insurance agent. When we sign you up, don't be surprised if our rates are lower than the 800 number. We'll get every available discount for you. We'll get you the right coverage. And if you ever need help with a claim, our door is open. Whalen Insurance. Call us for a quote. 586-1000. In partnership with Moffray Insurance. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service. Local insurance.
0: Having a hard time with your mental health or substance use? You have options. The 24-7 Behavioral Health Helpline is your front door to care. Call 833-773-2445 to speak with a trained staff member and get connected to the support you need. Want to see someone right away? Visit mass.gov CBHCS to find your local community behavioral health center, a service of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts.
14: ling, city desk.
15: The press, the press, extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess
16: meets the test.
1: We continue our conversation with Dan Crowley, who is the editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, the Athol Daily News. And I would like to ask you, Dan, about a number of stories that appear in the papers today. I would like to begin with may just be obvious, which if things happen in courts and it involves crime, is it always front page news, front page of the Recorder today? Charlemagne man gets 10 years for child sexual abuse. Uh, another headline on the front page, this one above the fold: Lawyer seeks settlement in sexual abuse case involving former teacher. Why are those cases always prominent in the paper?
13: Well, I would say that they're not always prominent. They, they can appear in different places. Um, we had a crime story about a Belchertown, former Belchertown officer that was inside um, uh, last week. The, I think it was last week. I don't know if you saw that piece. I did. Um, sometimes they're on the jump of the front page in the back.
1: The jump. Uh, being the,
13: the back of the front page, on the, the, the last page of the front section.
1: Okay, and the jump page often is where a story continues. Y- can continues, right.
13: right? Right. Sorry, this is I don't expect everybody to know what that means. <laughs> we do now. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> they, the, you know, they there's a mix of news every day, and um, there's a cauldron of stories. And what, you know, what what are the stories that that um, are the biggest stories of that. News cycle; those things can elevate out to the front, and sometimes they're crime. I'd be intre- the, the, yeah. the top story there. The um, <coughs> the lawyers that were out outside Deerfield Academy that's an o- that's been an ongoing case involving several former students over over the years um, during a former teacher's time. So that's been uh, that's not something that just popped out of nowhere. That's um, that's a, here's another. Uh, allegation from another former student of sexual abuse um so so um that that's why that is up front um <clears throat> and in how the school's handling it
1: i'd be interested to know whether or not that's the kind of story that results in a lot of comment letter and letters to the editor or whether that's the kind of story that will people say well, I don't want to just—I don't want to make that supposition. Does it get a lot of public comment? Do, do you get letters to the editor about that kind of story?
13: I would say for crime, perhaps not as much as some other types of stories. Um, local government uh, controversies in local government will often, uh, or or issues that um, have a lot of uh, division. We'll, we'll fill up our opinion page with letters and columns. I think you saw that with the East Hampton school superintendent search, and what's going on in <clears throat> in the Amherst schools uh, with the um, allegations of transphobic activities by some school leaders there. Those types of stories do, and then there's all all then we're always caught by surprise. There's stories that suddenly we're getting all kinds of letters and calls on that we never predicted. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I can't think of any at the top of my head right now, but you're like, wow,
2: I mean, who would have fought? The <laughs> yeah. executive uh, editor used the word jump on the air. Let's <laughs> write a letter about that. Now, I have a question that's related to Bill's question, both in the crime uh, sort of arena and in the political arena. And I'm curious, I actually don't know, how do you make a decision of whether or not a Franklin County audience is going to be interested in something that happens in Northampton or Amherst. Sometimes the recorder covers things that are happening in one yeah. of those cities and, and other times it doesn't. How do you decide that?
13: Well, uh, again, it goes back to broad appeal. We've had, I think the Gazette today had a piece on the death and dying, uh, uh, the, that legislation, death with dignity. Death with dignity. Yeah. And, um, and that's a that's a subject that touches everybody. And there may be some kind of a uh, legislative event or hearing that's taking place in Hampshire County, or 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 a rally, uh, and it's including people from both Hampshire and Franklin counties. Um, that's legislation that's going to affect everybody in the state. So th- that's an example of a story that we would cross over. Uh, we're going to have a piece in both papers on Deerfield's 350th. Right. Anniversary on Saturday. We both papers circulate in, in Deerfield, um, and there'll be people in both markets that will be interested in that. So, so we make it day to day. We're making decisions about uh, the DA's office covers Hampshire and Franklin counties, and and uh, a bit of the Quabbin. Um, and and there's a story that touches both readerships. Um, uh, that's the top law enforcement office for both. So, so we're we're always we're, we're pretty aware of. Of um, the types of stories that both readerships would be interested in.
1: The Aid in Dying story, front page below the fold, but on the front page of today's daily Hampshire Gazette, uh, is a State House news service story. Yeah. Sometimes the Gazette or the recorder, the Athol Daily News, will take a State House news uh, service story and then assign a reporter to it to get a local angle. Could you tell us how that works internally?
13: Yeah, well, the. We subscribe to Statehouse News Service. They do an excellent job of covering the legislature, <clears throat> um, and sometimes we want—we know that we have some people that are pretty active in issues that they're writing about. They may not be in a Statehouse story, and we think their voice will add something to the to the story.
1: Um, and, and I take it sometimes you have time to do that, and sometimes, well, deadlines—deadlines yeah. deadlines are deadlines.
13: Yeah, we had we had reporters at both papers uh, writing a piece about the Trump indictment. Uh,
1: to get local reaction, yeah,
13: we had some, we had legal experts, we had some just some, uh, residents from uh, from the area commenting on it, and it, it, I thought it provided a pretty uh, good mix of views on, on what happened there.
1: And will you continue, and how do you decide what kind of prominence to give that national story in these local newspapers?
13: Yeah, so we'll have, we have a conversation about that as as the story develops if there's some significant new development in that national, international story, then we'll decide to put it out front, we will. I mean, that's that's a historic story that we had out front the other day.
1: Another historic story that's getting less attention in the newspapers, uh, including the Gazette and the Recorder, is Ukraine. I'm wondering how you decide it's an international story, it's critically important, it's not a local story. How do you weigh the importance of, and the prominence of that?
13: Well, we, I think we had a piece inside on our wire page not uh, recently on Ukraine, <clears throat> um, but the other thing I'll say is sometimes we let our opinion page do some of that work too. We have people that have been writing about those national and international issues, and while you may not see a story uh, out in the news that we've presented, um, we're allowing people to talk about those types of like the, the war in Ukraine uh, in, in our columns.
1: We should also point out in the uh, cities and towns section, which is page three of the Gazette today, committee okays pay hikes for elected officials, Dateline, Northampton, mayor, council, school committee would earn more next year if council agrees Thursday. That's today. A great teaser for tomorrow's paper. Yes.
13: <laughs> yes. So tonight is the vote, right? Tonight. Yeah
2: to be above the fold or on the jump page or on the wire page i don't know we'll see dan crowley
1: thank you so much for being with us really appreciate your time
13: all right thanks for having me
0: this is talk the talk with bill newman and buzz Eisenberg on whmp
5: do you know what's happening this friday at 9 a.m
8: is this week shop friday seasons passes to look park
5: correct they go on sale this friday at 9 a.m
8: Visit Beautiful Look Park in Florence all year long with your season pass. Mini golf, the water spray park, the steamer train, playgrounds, ice cream, a whole summer of outdoor family fun.
5: Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com.
0: Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat. WHMP Northampton. W-R-S-I-H-D-2, Turners Falls, dot com, on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com.
17: I'm Deborah Rodriguez. We begin with mixed signs on the economy. First, retail sales, which were up 0.3% last month despite inflation and higher interest rates bank rates, Mark Hamrick.
0: Among categories, sales of vehicles up 1.4 percent, department stores are up three-tenths, and general merchandise up four-tenths of one percent in May.
17: The number of people who signed up for first-time unemployment benefits over the past two weeks is at its highest level since October of 2021. The Supreme Court could weigh in with decisions in several high-profile cases shortly. One of them involves affirmative action in education. CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenberg The
7: case comes down to whether the use of racial preferences can continue to be used as a factor in college admissions, even if it discriminates against other students with higher test scores who should also be protected under the Civil Rights Act.
17: At least a dozen tornadoes have knocked down trees and damaged buildings across the southeast. Glenda Williams' granddaughter was alone when a tree fell on the family's mobile home in Lexington, Mississippi.
18: She had just walked out the room. She was on the phone with one of our friends and she was just screaming. She said she was finna lay down. So thank God she didn't lay down because it went right across her bed.
17: More than 160,000 customers still have no power. Parts of Texas and Florida could get record-breaking heat today. Officials in Ukraine say Fighting is fierce in its counteroffensive against Russia. CBS's Ian Lee met with members of one unit returning from battle.
0: They move into position under the cover of darkness. Night vision gives these Ukrainian soldiers the edge against the Russians. Morning brings the command, attack. This soldier, call sign
19: blacksmith, led the first assault. It
0: took us two days to push nearly three miles, he tells me. The Russians were dug in and heavily fortified, but intense artillery fire forced them to flee.
17: From our health file, doctors may be taking less stock in body mass index. The American Medical Association is advising medical professionals to pay less attention to patients' BMI when they calculate healthy weights. The AMA says other factors like body composition, belly fat, waist circumference, and genetics are just as important. The All-Muslim City Council in Hamtramck, Michigan, has banned LGBTQ plus flags from publicly owned flagpoles. Lawmakers say it's about respecting religious rights, Darren Shelton, who runs the local theater, sees it differently.
11: In my opinion, it is the city council's nuclear option to
0: make sure that this flag cannot be hung up on government property.
17: This is CBS News.
0: Need hires who dazzle without the hassle? You need Indeed. Their powerful platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. This episode of Ion Travel is brought to you by Viking,
18: providing all inclusive voyages on rivers. Oceans and lakes around the world, designed for curious travelers with interest in science, history, culture, and cuisine. Viking chairman Torsten Hagen often says Viking offers experiences for the thinking person, with no children and no casinos on board. Learn more at Viking.com. That's Viking.com.
10: Adopt US Kids presents What to expect when you're expecting a teenager, learning the lingo.
19: Goat.
10: The Northampton Housing Authority will take over the East Hampton Housing Authority for the next three years. The NHA will receive an annual fee of just over $118,000 to manage the properties. The decision comes after the resignation of East Hampton's Executive Director, Deborah Walker, for personal reasons. There are approximately 200 adult tenants living in 188 units at East Hampton's Housing Authority. Properties that include more than 50 buildings citywide. Kara Leeper, NHA's executive director, tells the Gazette the contract stipulates that East Hampton can cancel the agreement with a 60 day notice if they are not satisfied with Northampton services. The Northampton City Council is giving the green light to pay raises for the mayor, city councilors, and school committee members. The recommendations come from a report by the elected officials' compensation advisory board shared at a May council meeting. If approved by the full council at its meeting tonight, The changes would take effect January 1st, after the city's next municipal election in November. There is an active investigation after a Burniston patrol officer stopped a suspicious vehicle resembling a police vehicle Tuesday night. The individual driving the car was arrested for numerous charges and, according to Burniston Police, was wearing a tactical vest, wearing a badge resembling a police badge, and armed with a handgun, handcuffs, knives, and other police-style equipment. The individual is expected to appear in a dangerousness hearing, and the Bernardson Police Department assures there is no current known threat to the public.
11: mixture of sun and clouds today, a few scattered showers this afternoon, a high of 76 to 80. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 70s, an overnight low of 54 to 60. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with showers and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon, a high of 76 to 80. Saturday looks wet. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
2: And welcome to our show. I am Buzz Eisenberg, And I'm Bill Newman. And this is Thursday, and it is that time which we always look forward to during the week when Brian Adams will bring guests that are as informative as they are important in what they can tell us about the world in which we live. Brian, who do you have with with us this week?
15: Well, let me set up for a moment, Buzz. Set it um, up. Buzz, you're from Asheville. You're always talking about... How wonderful Ashfield! Ashfield centric Ashfield centric that's for sure. Ashfield being the center of the universe, as, as you like to, to tell us. And one of the great things about living in western Massachusetts is the Hilltowns. Um, the Ashfields and the Cummingtons and all of those wonderful places that are just so beautiful. And one of the reasons why the Hilltowns remain as beautiful as they are are the efforts of folks to really protect that valuable land that is out there at a local level, at a state level, at a regional level. And one of the organizations that does a marvelous job in trying to protect some of the land out there is the Hilltown Land Trust. And today we're so delighted to have with us Sarah Welch. Sarah Welch is the community engagement coordinator with the Hilltown Land Trust, and one of the ones responsible for maintaining and stewarding and educating folks about some of the 5,000 acres of land that the Hilltown Land Trust has protected and continues to steward. 5,000 acres, Sarah. Can you tell us about some of those 5,000 acres?
4: Sure, and thanks so much for having me on, Brian. It's really wonderful to be able to share with people what makes me love living in the Hilltowns and is one of the ways that I can give back to the landscape that's given me so much. I moved to the Hilltowns four years ago, and the thing that brought me there was the hiking trails. I was at a stage in my life where I was really craving connection to nature, and I found a lot of solace on the trails, many of which I didn't realize at the time were protected by Hilltown Land Trust and uh, cared for by land trusts and trails committees and volunteers across the area, we have about 10 public trails that are open all across the hill towns in a 13 town region from Windsor over to Conway down to West Hampton and over to Chester and one of the first places that i found myself in was our Breckenridge Sanctuary in Williamsburg it's right off of Route 9 it's really easy to get to and One moment you're standing at the edge of a parking lot on this busy, busy busy-for-us highway, and you take just a few steps and you drop into this beautiful stream valley, the Blake Brook, which is a trout-stocked tributary of the Mill River, runs through this particular place. And it's like all of the sound of the road drops away and you hear birdsong, the sounds of the brook, There's a beautiful bridge there that was constructed first by the um, Student Conservation Association a couple years ago, and then again by the Williamsburg Trails Committee. And I really love that place because it's where this peaceful way to approach nature and be on the (sighs) land intersects with some really beautiful ways that humans have cared for it as well. And... That's just one of the places we can serve, but it's one of my favorites.
15: Uh, sounds beautiful, and we'd certainly encourage all of our listeners to get out there, not just our older listeners, but younger listeners as well, or listeners with, with younger folks in their lives. One of the things that really concerns me, Sarah, is um, kids these days. I'm going to sound like an old of Kids these days! Um, one of the things about, about uh, certain kids these days is they're not getting outside. They're screeniacs. They're addicted to their screens. It's really hard to disconnect from uh, social media, from computer games, from staring at at your phone. Um, You're the community engagement coordinator. Part of your job is to get folks out. How do you get kids to reconnect or to connect at all with the wild, to get them into some of these marvelous trails, uh, some of these 5,000 acres that that, that the Hilltown Land Trust helps preserve?
4: You know, it's funny. I think adults could actually stand to learn a lot about connecting with nature from children. Children, especially in my experience as an AmeriCorps member with the Hilltown Land Trust serving in this role, ha- bring so much curiosity to their experiences in nature. They're the ones who are on the ground looking at what's in their field of vision. They're inching along the trails, wanting to roll over logs and pick up sticks and see who's underneath there. And I think that the leap from what we might think of as being stuck in technology to engaging with nature is, is actually quite short for a lot of children. When they feel safe, when they feel empowered in a space to engage their very natural curiosity, it's, I think, no trouble at all to create a space where children and the adults who are with them feel a very deep sense of connection with nature. And often children have been the ones who lead me to take a look up from my screen or uh, walk out in nature in a way that I didn't know I needed.
15: Well, that's uplifting. That's good, good to know. Children do that, bring that sense of awe and wonder that as us adults can learn from as long as we can get them away away from their screens, and get adults away from their screens uh, as, as well. I know there are um, certain trails, like Audubon, say no no dogs allowed on trails. My thing is no cell phones allowed on trails. But then how would you take pictures? Bill, you got a comment? I'd, l-
1: I'd like to ask you a question, Brian. You're, you're a professor emeritus of environmental science at Greenfield Community College. You taught for 20 years. You've written these fabulous novels ab- that have environmental themes as well. Do your students... Did your students take advantage of the trails we're talking about? Do they did they get out in the woods, or is this not something that's part of the fabric of their their lives? Uh, so that
15: depends, of course. There were some students who I had who were marvelous outdoors people and great naturalists coming in into class, and others who had never set foot in the outdoors and. And I said, we're going on a field trip, rain or shine. <laughs> um, they'd come poorly dressed. They'd say, why did you think you meant him? One of the more interesting projects that I did was a special place project where you had to sort of adopt a special place. And a lot of the folks did live in the hill towns and had these marvelous, sacred places in the hill towns that they would retreat to. And one of the activities was to, and sort of Sarah was sort of alluding to this, leave your cell phone behind go out into the special area, and sit there for 30 minutes without any distractions, and then to write about your senses, sort of a sensory thing. And I know this sounds sort of, uh, you know, oh, I don't know about this. But students would come back and write. Maybe they were feeding me what I wanted to hear. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was amazing to be disconnected uh, from uh, social media. From, for 30 minutes.
13: What th- we're talking
15: about is 30 minutes here. I know, sort of, profound rev, revelation about the beauty of nature, and I do hope that um, once you, as Sarah said, once you get that initial connection in, you can be hooked in pretty quickly to the, to the, to the marvelous stuff that is out there. Um, Sarah, you do a lot of the programming for Hilltown Land Trust. Can you talk about some of the programs, educational programs, coming up that you're involved in?
4: Sure. I think there's a great tie in here, in that you know. I really believe that it's on us as people who share connection to nature to make it more welcoming and make it a space where we invite people in regardless of prior experience level. And public programming is a great way to do that. We have just this weekend a public hike coming up at uh, one of the new loop trails that we've recently opened at our Conwell property in Worthington. It's this beautiful trail that hikes over a small mountain ridge called Eagle Nest Ridge and then drops down to this beautiful beaver pond where you can watch currently a heron family nesting in a tree in the beaver swamp. It's a really beautiful place. And something that I've discovered from hiking there is people don't know about the new loop trail. They hike on trails that were previously established and then they stop and turn around. And in order to get people to know about this beautiful place that they could be visiting, you have to tell them. So we have an opening ceremony hike that's happening this Sunday, 1 p.m. We still have slots available if anybody is interested. And along the way, we'll be chatting, socializing, something that I think is a really important outlet up here in the hill towns, and also taking in the wildlife and scenic beauty around us. If people
2: want to find out more about that event, how do they find out?
4: Sure. We have our website, hilltownlandtrust.org, and there's a bar at the top where you can click on Get Involved, and underneath that is a place where you can see all our events.
15: And not only see the events, but go on the events, sign up for the events, mm-hmm. and also participate in a whole lot of ways. Uh, giving money is one of those things that the that, that the land trust is depends on volunteers um, to, to be doing. Um, Sarah, I want to talk about uh, the fact that most of the hill towns, most of the land in the hill towns is privately owned. Um, unlike Vermont, where we have the Green Mountain National Forest, or New Hampshire with the White Mountains, um, no federal land in Western Mass is, you know, nothing is under Forest Service or Park. We have a couple big parks, I'm thinking of D.A.R. in Goshen and Savoy and the, um, Irving State Forest on the other side. Um, but most of it is in private land. Do you work with private landowners in terms of setting aside land, doing things called conservation restrictions? Can you talk about that?
4: All the time we work with private landowners. This is a little bit out of my scope, and Sally Loomis, our executive director, is the person who deals primarily with land protection, and uh, our land steward, Tim, uh, is also deeply involved in coordinating with our private landowners, but uh People can do a lot to conserve land and take care of land, whether that's donating the land to a land trust or working with us to develop something called a conservation restriction, which basically means giving up certain rights on your land, like the right to develop it, in exchange for, not in exchange for, but it means that the land in that way becomes permanently protected. That's a permanent thing doesn't expire in 50 years, doesn't expire in 100, it's permanent protection. And that's one of the really important ways that we engage with people who then maintain this relationship to the land and have their own goals for stewarding and taking care of it. I'm thinking of someone who is working on a conservation restriction with us who uh, donated this CR conservation restriction on land we're protecting on the Goshen-Ashfield line she lived there for many years had this deep connection to the land and her goal was that it became remained a peaceful place for people to be in nature there's these huge boulders that i know people climb and a beautiful wetland that features habitat for animals that require it as well as a place to people for people to enjoy and her goal was to give back to the community in this way and by creating this conservation restriction agreement with her. We can help her do that.
15: And there are tax incentives or benefits, is that correct? For landowners can uh, reap some economic issues from putting their land in conservation restriction, is that correct?
4: Yes, and Sally would be a great person to talk with about that.
15: Great, yeah. We're talking with uh, Sarah Welch. Sarah is the community engagement coordinator for the Hiltown Land Trust that serves all sorts of western Massachusetts uh, Hilltown communities and preservation and conservation and community engagement and education. Uh, when we come back, Sarah, I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with the trustees of organizations, which is uh, trustees of reservations, which is a really interesting uh, partnership and I think unique in some of the, uh, the, the land trusts in the area. So stick with us.
0: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, coming up right here on WHMP.
16: I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Francis Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution, if any, will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Francis Ray on The Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com.
8: Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
17: It wasn't necessary, and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors.
0: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives, 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts.
5: What's Cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman
6: local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
2: And we are back at Science and Sensibility with Professor Brian Adams and his uh, guest, Sarah Welsh of the Hilltown Land Trust. Uh, Brian, one thing I've never been clear about is what the jurisdiction is of the various wonderful land trusts we have here.
15: And we do. We're surrounded by just wonderful organizations doing incredible work in land preservation. Uh, Sarah represents the Hilltown Land Trust. We have the Franklin Land Trust up in a little bit north uh, of us. We have the uh, Mount Grace Land Trust, which is North Quabbin. We have Kestrel Land Trust. And I know, Sarah, the Hilltown Land Trust does, and I'll read the names, Ashfield, Chester, Chesterfield, Conway, Cummington, Goshen, Huntington, Middlefield, Plainfield, West Hampton, Williamsburg, of course, most importantly, Ashfield. The, center, the, of the, the center of the universe. of the universe. Sarah, do you, is there a collaboration between different land trusts? How is it just by geography? Um, how how do you do that? And also, can you talk about the r- relationship with the oldest statewide land conservation organization in the United States, which is the Trustees of Reservations?
4: Sure. Well, first I'll start by saying, as small land trusts scattered throughout this area, we collaborate all the time. It's a wonderful community of people who really care about taking care. Of this place, and collaboration makes us all stronger together. The trustees and Hilltown Land Trust made the defi- decision to formally affiliate several years ago, and it's ha- it's worked out great. Hilltown Land Trust has a permanent staff of three plus two AmeriCorps members, including myself. And as a small organization, there's so much that the trustees can help us with from administrative back end to support to to people who are great at taking care of budgets in a way that we just don't have the capacity for. And it really helps us focus on our mission and be a stronger organization. And because of the affiliation, we can work together to conserve land, HLT conserves land on behalf of both HLT and HLT the trustees. HLT is
15: Hilltown Land. Sure.
4: Yes. Thank you. And, and also on behalf of the trustees in this region. For example, we added 130 acres last year to the ski area up at Notchview in Windsor, and that was one collaboration between the two of us.
15: Great cross-country ski area uh, up in Windsor that the trustees administers, and now in collaboration with Hilltown Land Trust. um, So it's not just geography, but it's also just collaboration. As projects come up, you're able to work with with other Mm -hmm. organizations Um, For people who want to hike the trails, some of those at 5,000 acres, uh, are there trail maps available? Are there the trails vary in length for people looking for maybe an easier one? Are they rated by (laughs) difficulty? How does that work?
4: So our trails on our currently 10 public properties that have trails open for folks to come and visit uh, vary a bit, but also because of the geography of where we sit, oftentimes what we're conserving are fairly small parcels of 100 to 200 acres. So our trails, our longest trail system uh, hits about five miles. That's at our Stevens property in West Hampton and Huntington. Really beautiful, rugged trails, some boulder scrambling, and it can take you all the way out to a beautiful beaver meadow at the turnaround of the trail. And we have trails that are as short as about half a mile round trip, and that's a easier trail. In Cummington, our Waterfall Trail is a great example of that that takes you to a beautiful waterfall, probably a trickle this time of year, uh, at Two Mamas Farm, which is a wonderful farm that we collaborate with on land conservation.
15: Trickle Waterfall at Two Mamas Farm. What could be better than that? <laughs> and an easy hike to, to get there and back. Maybe after yesterday's rain, it's not a trickle. Maybe there's a little...
4: After a good rain or in the spring, it's a really beautiful spot to visit. It's very kid-friendly, too. And you can stop and pick up some delicious maple syrup from the farm.
15: So what a wonderful job for you. You're doing trail maps now, updating those things with your graphic design uh, work, which is really exciting. When you're out on the trail, any uh, recent exciting encounters with wildlife? Um, We've all been, I I went on the beaver walk with you and the organization. uh, We interviewed um, one of your volunteers about beavers, and then a week after that, someone got bit by a beaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't swim in beaver ponds, I guess, at least at, at this point. But no, it's
2: right. and they're their habitat. Right. Yeah.
15: yeah. <laughs> um, any recent wildlife encounters you want to oh, tell us about?
4: We had a great wildlife capture on one of our trail cameras just last week. It's another beaver, but it's not just a beaver.
15: Oh, not just a beaver, okay.
4: You're watching a beaver swim along the edge of a dam, and then all of a sudden, a bobcat comes into view. Beaver dams are a great resource for all kinds of wildlife because they can use them to cross waterways, and this bobcat is crossing on top of the beaver dam. The beaver looks at the bobcat, raises its tail, and smack thumps it back down into the water, which is its warning sign, hey, get out of my house. And the bobcat goes, oh, okay, excuse me, and trots off. That, that
2: was Sarah Welsh's impression of a bobcat <laughs> saying, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> and, and this
15: is all caught on, on, on film? Caught or on
4: wildlife thing? camera. Uh-huh. We've received some really wonderful mentorship from Sally Nacer of C, uh, CR Wildlife Cams to start capturing some of our own wildlife camera footage. And it's it's hard to catch a good piece of wildlife footage. Just the bobcat alone would have been phenomenal. But to catch a multi-species interaction on camera is actually incredibly rare. And so the fact that we were able to see this beaver behavior, how it defends its territory from a potential predator, is incredibly special. The Video is up on our Facebook page, which is Hilltown Land Trust, and anybody can go and watch it. It's, it hasn't gotten old for me, and I've watched it quite a few times. I've got to check
15: that out Beaver versus, not versus Bob, Beaver and Bobcat. Let's not put them in.
2: Communicating. The- Communicating. <laughs> Listen, I hate to be a curmudgeon. I'll, I'll ask both you, Brian Adams, and, and you, Sarah Welsh, the, uh, of the Hilltown Land Trust, this question, which is in the news lately, for good reason, has been the, the lack of affordable housing in this region. It is a huge problem and one of the criticisms of our wonderful land trust culture here, we should celebrate the fact that we conserve valuable, important land. At the same time, that means we're taking it out of availability for housing for a whole lot of people who can't otherwise afford the cost of housing in this region. Do you consider that, The land trusts consider that as a group, as an individual trust? Brian, I don't know if you can answer that as well, Sarah. Sarah,
15: you want to take a stab at
4: that? Sure. I think it's a great question. It was actually one of the main themes of the most recent Massachusetts Land Trust Coalition Conference earlier this year. Land trusts have a complicated history to grapple with, and one of the ugly histories of land conservation in the United States is that of dispossession, particularly of indigenous people and of low-income folks living in areas that... Snob zoning. Conservation. And I think that the land trust field is headed in a really interesting and exciting direction right now where we're finding that affordable housing and land conservation can work together and provide something maybe better than either of the two alone. Hilltown Land Trust in particular is looking as we move forward to start to see what it would look like to incorporate affordable housing development together with protection of the nature that everybody regardless of economic class deserves access to and there's some great projects out in eastern mass that are happening right now Stow Land trust i don't have the details off the top of my head but they've done some very valuable and important work on this topic and i think it's good to be asking those questions
15: and it's and and it's really tied in if if, if you want uh, affordable housing, you want affordable housing in places that people can not just uh, get to uh, towns and shops and all in a, in, a, in, a, in a quick way, but also in ways that perhaps lower-income people can have access to nature, um, and that's really important. I know the city of, uh, of Northampton, I think, is doing a really good job, part with Community Preservation Committee uh, um, monies, to try to do that balance of, of set-aside land um, for community conservation and recreation but a portion of that land put into housing um, which is which is which is really important we've been talking with sarah welch sarah is the uh, community engagement coordinator with a wonderful land trust the hilltown land trust representing lots of our hill towns sarah one more time before we end how can people get in touch with the hilltown land trust how do they access some of the trail maps and how can they donate money if they see and the
2: event is upcoming
15: and the events that
4: are hilltownlandtrust.org is the place to find all of the information that i'm about to share but we would love to see folks at our upcoming events which range from hikes to workshops to talks and ways to learn about and connect with nature as always we so appreciate the support of our members who do so much to take care of this land and support it financially. And we're always looking for volunteers who are as excited about taking care of these places as we are. And our website is a great place to get connected with all of those ways to contribute.
15: Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. And keep up the good work and keeping the Hilltowns so marvelously green and beautiful and inviting for so many different folks.
2: Thank you both. It was really an uh, important and fascinating uh, picture of what the Hilltown Land Trust provides to all of us. We're going to be right back with Take 5, Tom Marini and Glenn Siegel, right after this.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
10: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton Housing Authority will take over the East Hampton Housing Authority for the next three years. The NHA will receive an annual fee of just over $118,000 to manage the properties. The decision comes after the resignation of East Hampton's Executive Director, Deborah Walker, for personal reasons. There are approximately 200 adult tenants living in 188 units at East Hampton's Housing Authority. Properties that include more than 50 buildings citywide. Kara Leeper, NHA's executive director, tells the Gazette the contract stipulates that East Hampton can cancel the agreement with a 60-day notice if they are not satisfied with Northampton services. The Northampton City Council is giving the green light to pay raises for the mayor, city councilors, and school committee members. The recommendations come from a report by the elected officials' compensation advisory board, shared at a May council meeting. If approved by the full council at its meeting tonight. The changes would take effect January 1st, after the city's next municipal election in November. There is an active investigation after a Burniston patrol officer stopped a suspicious vehicle resembling a police vehicle Tuesday night. The individual driving the car was arrested for numerous charges and, according to Burniston Police, was wearing a tactical vest, wearing a badge resembling a police badge, and armed with a handgun, handcuffs, knives, and other police-style equipment. The individual is expected to appear in a dangerousness hearing, and the Bernardson Police Department assures there is no current known threat to the public.
11: Mixture of sun and clouds today, a few scattered showers this afternoon, a high of 76 to 80. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 70s, an overnight low of 54 to 60. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with showers and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon, a high of 76 to 80. Saturday looks wet. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
10: hi it's hannah email me at hward@whmp.com at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400
8: whmp news information and the arts and messages from community nonprofits
14: the consumer price index a measure of inflation slowed in may rising at an annual rate of four percent the index for shelter was the largest contributor to the monthly increase followed by an increase in the index for used cars and trucks Those prices are rising again after a brief respite early in the year. Amazon and Grubhub are extending their joint promotion for another year, providing free delivery service for Prime members. Prime members who have already taken advantage of the offer will get an additional 12 months of Grubhub Plus for free. Bed, Bath & Beyond has selected Overstock.com as its stalking horse bidder for the intellectual property behind its namesake banner, According to a bankruptcy filing this week. The position gives Overstock, an online discount retailer, the ability to get the first bid on Bed, Bath & Beyond's remaining assets. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
0: WHMP.
2: And we are back with the weekly segment that I just adore, Take 5. Um, and today we have two local legends of the airways when it comes to jazz in uh, this region. Um, this is kind of like uh, if Duke Ellington interviewed uh, Count Basie about uh, <laughs> about what it's like to be a band leader. We have Glenn Siegel interviewing Tom um uh, on his amazing career, presenting us with... Joy every week. Glenn, all yours.
18: Thank you so much, Buzz. It's great to be here. Uh, let me introduce uh, our guest, uh, who was here two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. Uh, Tom Reney, who's the founding host of NEPM's Jazz Aller Mode, which began in 1984. He also writes the jazz blog and produces the Jazz Beat podcast at NEPM. In 2019, he was honored by the Jazz Journalists Association with the Willis Conover Marion McPartland Award for Career Excellence in Broadcasting. Tom began broadcasting in uh, jazz radio in 1977 at WCUW in his hometown of Worcester. And tonight at 7 p.m. at the Northampton Center for the Arts, Tom will participate in a Q&A with filmmaker Sam Pollard and bassist Avery Sharp. After the screening of Max Roach, the drum also waltzes, a new film that explores the life and music of the legendary drummer, composer, band leader, and social activist Max Roach.
19: Hello again, Tom. Good morning, Glenn. Nice to be with you today. Yes. Mm -hmm.
18: So uh, let's begin by uh, having you tell us a little bit about Max Roach, who he was, and uh, tell us about your relationship with him.
19: Gladly. Let me begin by saying, and sort of emphasizing, tonight's film is completely sold out. Mm. Can't accommodate any walk-ins. Mm. Uh, so good news and bad news. But um, and you know, it reminds me that um, uh, my friendship with Max began um, with a concert that I asked him to play in Worcester in 1979, and uh, we had a fairly modest series—solos and duos—and um, and we had produced about seven or eight concerts by the time I. I met with Max at UMass, and uh, I broached the idea of a solo concert by him, which he just instantly, eagerly embraced. And we had a very small budget. We had a 100-seat venue, but uh, he, he was game. And, um, and a month or so later, Memorial Day weekend of 79, he came into, uh, into Worcester and, um, and uh, did the concert. Uh, we did an interview that day, uh, which I think was the first interview I'd ever done, especially with a major figure like Max Roach. And um, and uh, the concert, as it turned out, Glenn, was the first solo concert that he had ever played.
12: Wow, he had really? written
19: and composed pieces for solo percussion by then. The drum also waltzes, the name of the documentary you mentioned, and numerous other pieces. He had recorded an album or two of drum solos, but he had... He had never played a concert uh, uh, of drum solos, and um, I didn't even know that until like four years later. Um, but um, but the concert was uh, uh, sensational. He was he was great, and you know those were beautifully composed and prepared, discreet pieces for drum kit and uh, interspersed with Max's commentaries and stories. He was so into it; it was a real treat for everybody, and that place was it was a 100 seat venue but I think we had about 145 people wow. that uh, somehow managed to cram in there and um, and that was kind of the beginning of a of a nice uh, friendship uh.
18: and tell us about his relationship to UMass which is quite deep
19: yeah well he was there from 73 until 77 as sort of full-time faculty and during that period he helped uh, it wasn't a single-handed effort but he he made a major uh, contribution to the effort to establish the university's African-American music jazz major. And, um, and uh, an interview that I did with Max back on that day in Worcester in 79, um, he talks about that quite uh, extensively, about what a struggle it was to push that um, uh, that, uh, that agenda through, um, and, um, and uh, he likened it to... Um, Um, You know, um, uh, oh God, I'm going to forget the name of the term that uh, that was uh, used back then. But uh, you know, the efforts to uh, restrict uh, uh, integration of neighborhoods, uh, the impact of the supposed or the feared red line. Well, redlining was part of it, but even uh, uh, blockbusting or something like that. Um, Anyway, you know uh, that the um, that that to bring jazz and and, uh, and a more vernacular approach to uh, African-American music was, um, you know, seen as uh, something that was going to uh, uh, harm the reputation of the department and, and its uh, first principles around Germanic music uh, and, and what have you. So um,
2: I do want to point out, uh, uh, Tom Reney, you you majored, you got your baccalaureate in African-American studies, I think. Yeah,
19: that was at UMass, yeah, yeah. That's right, boss. Yeah. yeah not the music uh, department uh, but uh, yes, uh,
2: and that was when 1910. When did you graduate? <laughs> oh, come on
18: <laughs>
19: I started in 75. Let's leave it at that, huh? <laughs> Great. And, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, anyway, Max uh, and uh, others in the department, of course, uh, people uh, uh, Frederick Tillis, the late Fred Tillis, uh, uh, Jeff Holmes uh, came in uh, once the uh, major was established, as I recall. Uh, there was a saxophonist there at the time named Jake Epstein, who was a brilliant player. Charlie Parker uh, clone, who delighted Max in his ability to, uh, you know, play Charlie Parker lines, and um, and they, they were part of that effort. Roland Wiggins, um, of course, Archie Shepp had come into. The Afro-Am Department by then, and uh, it was all kind of a groundswell that did ultimately result in the establishment of that major.
18: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just such a rich history, and of course I uh, saw Max every summer during the Bright Moments Festival, where he sure. would often perform solo, a little solo set. Sure. Which was uh, quite beautiful.
2: Max Roach was a genius, and we don't have that many opportunities in our lifetime to rub elbows with a true genius who rubs back, who welcomes conversation, and I just always found it so amazing.
19: Yeah, you know? yeah, Buzz, I agree. He was a genius, um, uh, and of a generation of geniuses who broke through the, you know, with modern jazz, bebop, um, uh, but he was, uh, uh, and he was a very strong and outspoken political activist in the early 60s. His album, We Insist Freedom Now, was banned in South Africa because it addressed apartheid as well as segregation and Jim Crow here in the States. And Max was, uh, you know, he was on the, on the front lines at demonstrations and, and what have you. Uh, but, uh, you know, was really a diplomat. Um, and, 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 uh, and he... Um, uh, you know he 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 engaged with people, um, and uh, and that brought him to the university. You know one of the things that I was just reminded of in listening back to this interview I did with him it was the emphasis on American music, and um, and he told one story about how in 1976 the bicentennial. Uh, the Boston Symphony was invited to play a concert at the newly opened Fine Arts Center at the university, says Yurzawa, was the conductor, music director. And the university specifically requested a work by an American composer. And the BSO said, no, we've already prepared the program. Um, but that was a big part of Max's agenda, was the emphasis on the Americanness of this music and, um, and how core... You know, so-called jazz uh, is to American music and culture, and um, and it's amazing how much progress has been made in these forty to fifty years now. Because I was reviewing some notes I wrote around, uh, I did some articles about (laughs) Max back then, but one of them was, you know, emphasizing arguing that jazz was so neglected at the university and conservatory level. And now it's at virtually every single college, conservatory, community college, not only in the U.S., but worldwide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet it was a very rare thing only, you know, a generation ago or two. And
2: Glenn Siegel and Tom Rini, I, I, uh, I read, can't remember where, but uh, quite often people change careers. I was an attorney and then I was an educator and now I'm on a talk show. But... Um, <laughs> Max was asked whether he self-identifies as a musician or an educator, and he said educator. Mm-hmm. I thought he, he wanted us all to learn what he already owned, which <laughs> right, is sure. an amazing gift. Right,
19: right, yeah. Right, yeah.
18: And speaking of yeah. geniuses, uh, I know you'll be doing a, a Q&A uh, around a new film by, uh, around about uh, Thelonious, Thelonious Monk. Monk. Yeah. Tell yeah, it's the newly
19: that. released um, film called Rewind and Play. And it's um, it's based around an interview that was done with Monk in Paris in 1969 for what was then a like a 30-minute television feature on Thelonious. And the, um, the uh, host interviewer was the renowned French jazz pianist Henri Renaud, who knew Max quite well. In fact, he had stayed at Max's place in New York in the mid-50s. But around the production of this um, Max Roach feature, there's a terrible awkwardness to the whole thing. And that's what this film is sort of looking at, the questions and, uh, and what Thelonious was um, sort of um, uh, required to sit through, as it were, just the tediousness, you might say, of a telev- television production, the numerous uh, you know, requests to play that tune again and that sort of thing. And um, so this is kind of a revisionist look at uh, what was a 30-minute French TV feature on Monk is now about a 70-minute film, Rewind and Play. And that's going to be at Amherst Cinema on July 12th, part of their summer music series. And Great. Uh, and we'll have a Q&A around that uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, screening, that day. Beautiful.
18: Yeah. And uh, around the uh, Max Roach film, uh, since it's sold out and if we're not lucky enough to have gotten tickets... It, are there any other opportunities to, to see it?
1: Yeah, when we scream, encore, encore. Do we get an encore?
19: <laughs> I don't think here in town, but I do know, A, there's going to be a screening in Brooklyn on June 17th, and I'm quite sure this film is slated for PBS's American Masters series next season, 23-24 oh, okay. uh, season. When, I'm not sure, but, uh, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody will get a chance to see it sooner or later. Yeah, Thank and you. the
18: filmmaker will be... Uh, participating. Uh, the
19: co-director, Sam Pollard, whose credits include Eyes on the Prize, a couple of Spike Lee movies, Jungle Fever, and Mo' Better Blues, and um, I think Sam's recent credits include the great Bill Russell documentary uh, this year, but he's co-director with Ben Shapiro of this Max uh, Roach, the Drum of Waltzes, and it's Sam who'll be joining us tonight.
2: We're going to continue our conversation between Glenn Siegel and uh, Tom Reney and Bill and Buzz, who are dying to jump in, will be back right after this.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Some people
7: make insurance sound so simple. You know, just call 1-800-INSURANCE. We'll save you money. Sounds pretty simple. So you call, give your credit card, and you're insured. They're hoping you'll never call back, hoping you'll never have a claim. Because that's when insurance isn't so simple. In fact, it can get outright complicated. So many insurance claims have some little thing, or not so little thing, that ends up with a difference in what the insurance company thinks they owe you and what you think you should get. Maybe that nice person who signed you up at 1-800-INSURANCE will work it out for you. Or make Whalen Insurance your local insurance agent. When we sign you up, don't be surprised if our rates are lower than the 800 number. We'll get every available discount for you. We'll get you the right coverage. And if you ever need help with a claim, our door is open. Whalen Insurance. Call us for a quote. 586-1000. In partnership with Moffray Insurance. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service. Local insurance. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate, you don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood. Wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, inside Thorns in downtown Northampton.
5: Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.?
8: IS THIS WEEK SHOP FRIDAY SEASONS PASSES TO LOOK PARK?
5: CORRECT! THEY GO ON SALE THIS FRIDAY AT 9 A.M.
8: VISIT BEAUTIFUL LOOK PARK IN FLORENCE ALL YEAR LONG WITH YOUR SEASON PASS. MINI GOLF, THE WATER SPRAY PARK, THE STEAMER TRAIN, PLAYGROUNDS, ICE CREAM. A WHOLE SUMMER OF OUTDOOR FAMILY FUN.
5: GET READY TO SAVE 30% BEGINNING FRIDAY AT 9 A.M. THE SHOP 30 STORE AT (laughs) WHMP.COM.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP
1: We continue our conversation with Glenn Siegel and Tom Rini and I want to go back to something you told us last time you were here, Tom, because you have taught me a lot about music over the years, and I never knew this, which is jazz a la mode somehow is not connected to ice cream.
19: (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. A la mode, in the style of, in the custom of. So, yeah. A la mode
1: means ice cream, it's got sprinkles, it's got chocolate sauce. Come on, come on, come on, come on.
19: That's become the the, uh, popular uh, uh, definition, of course, uh, uh, because of its... Vanilla ice cream in particular. Yeah, on apple pie. Yeah, pie all the moto. But it's not what it means. Not really. Oh, okay. But uh, I don't mind that everybody thinks it's about ice cream. (laughs) uh, It's more like jazz and the custom of this host, this restaurateur, as it were. (laughs) Yours truly.
1: That's terrific.
18: (laughs) So, Tom, last time we uh, talked about the current state of the jazz world, and you characterized it exactly the same way I do, which is that there's never been more great, highly competent players uh, around the world and a terrible lack of performance opportunities and other ways for musicians to make a living from this music. Do you have any thoughts about how to improve the situation?
19: Constant exposure uh, as much as possible and constant performance. Gunther Schuller said that, you know, a music that's not performed dies. Uh, So, um, you know, I'm kind of a repertory guy. I'm glad that bebop and swing and New Orleans music and and, uh, hard bop and post bop and all of that is still, you know, getting played, recycled. Uh, re-channeled um, uh, let's keep it all alive you know. And, and if you go to New Orleans you'll find an incredibly creative approach to traditional New Orleans music and you know most players today who come out of conservatories and colleges are basically adept in the, l- the language of modern jazz, what we call bebop um, uh, but uh, yeah it's got to be played, it's got to be heard um, and I'm not sure how to do that except what I currently do and and, uh, and what you do, and, um, and um, you know. Yeah. And, and keep it in the schools, which, of course, there's been a huge uh, advance uh, on, as we mentioned earlier. And Max Roach was a pioneer in that in his own way. Um, it's
2: breathtaking and, the quality of some of the student musicians oh, in this no, region. It's yeah. unbelievable.
19: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: We have this amazing thing going on in Northampton at Smith College this week, which is Django in June, oh, yes. Gypsy Jazz, with amazing musicians who are going to mm-hmm. have this tremendous concerts on Friday and Saturday. I mean, that's a kind of unique experience.
19: Sure Your thoughts is. about yeah. that? It's uh, you know it's Andrew Lawrence's baby here in Northampton, what an amazing job that's. It's going to be fifteen plus years old, and. Um, Uh, I know musicians who are really skilled players in other idioms, sad to say some have passed on, but uh, uh, I've seen them at these, you know, they come from California and uh, Louisiana to study uh, this, and and they're modest about their greatness in another field just to play the Django, uh, the so-called gypsy jazz, you know, but um, that has grown so... um, amazingly, and uh, and it, that's a worldwide phenomenon unto itself. I'm not sure there's much uh, overlap, however, between so-called gypsy jazz and what we're talking about as, you know, straight-ahead jazz. and um, uh, So it's a little bit of a subculture in a way, but my God, yeah. Quite it, it's
2: equally exp- as expressive, I think, and, and allows for a kind of innovative uh, communication among musicians, but it is a different kind of thing than straight-ahead jazz.
19: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
18: And, and Tom... Just touch you, you touched on your uh, earlier career as a producer concert producer um, tell us about that well I,
19: I worked at a community radio station WCUW, in Worcester and we hosted a series produced a series of our own for several years and I joined in on that at times by bringing in Max and Archie Shepp and Marion Brown and and uh, and some others but you know and I'd like to add that the interview i did with max 44 years ago i just discovered the reel-to-reel tapes of that literally early last week had them digitized up at we transfer in florence a wonderful guy named steve uncles and now they're available on my jazz beat pod- the, the interview the hour-long conversation with max is on Jazzbeat, my podcast which you can get wherever you get a podcaster at nepm.org but i'm incredibly excited that i've had the transcript of it for years it was published back then in an arch journal, but uh, now it's available to hear Max's voice. Uh, an historical about all document. That. Yeah, yeah. So.
18: And in uh, just a minute, we have left. Um, tell us what you've been listening to recently that's caught your ear. Who are the musicians that you're most excited about these days?
19: There's, <laughs> There's an 86-year-old tenor player in Philadelphia named Larry McKenna. He's on Orrin Evans' new album, but Larry's got a new one of his own, "World on a String." He knocks me out. He is such a master player and a a direct mentor to Orrin Evans and the Philadelphia Jazz scene. It's wonderful to see late in his life Larry McKenna getting some uh, long-deserved attention. He played with Woody Herman and other great bands over the years, but... uh, so that comes immediately to mind for a quick answer to mm-hmm. that question, Glenn. Yeah. yeah. I
18: love how every city in America has people like that or Buck Hill's, or, oh, yeah, or people or, who are yeah. Uh, yeah. not known nationally but are legends and have really invigorated their local jazz scenes.
19: Yeah, there was Larry McKenna and another now deceased tenor player named um, Bubba Barnes uh, and Bootsy Barnes. And um, Bubba and Bootsy were brothers, both tenor players. And, uh, and Larry and Bootsy are on records together, and, and Evans, Oren Evans credits them both as sort of dual mentors of his. So, Well, you know. speaking
2: of regional heroes in the jazz world, uh, Glenn Siegel and Tom Rainey, you have both done so much to uh, spread the word about this great musical American form. Uh, Thanks for having us. No, it is our pleasure, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be exploiting your kindness again. <laughs> okay. No doubt about that. Thank you call. both. And for all of you who've been listening, thank you so much for joining us on Talk to Talk. Remember to walk the walk.
5: What's Cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member,
6: Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. To the
0: Tag, your it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman program, your home for the resistance. Commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every week. WHMP it's Northampton H-M-P. and WRSI HD2, Turners Falls, WHMP.com, on Northampton radio group station. It's